Good morning. I want to greet each one in Christ's name this morning. This morning I want to title my message, Go and Sin No More. Two weeks ago, Dwayne had a message on holiness, and I felt like that was a good, even though him and I didn't talk, I didn't know he was going to preach on that, and he didn't know what I was going to share today. Felt like it was a good foundation for my message today. Some things may seem to contradict or be seem seem in contrast, but I believe it goes together as we think of this morning, looking at the principles of grace and forgiveness. How should we view those who have fallen into sin? I'm going to ask a number of questions here to start out with. Second question, does God's, God's grace vary depending on the situation? If someone has never repented of their sins in the past and they come to God and ask forgiveness for those sins, I believe we all believe that God's grace covers those sins. But what about someone who's been a Christian for a long time and falls back into sin? Does God's grace extend equally to that person or does it not? Or is it different? We live in a world where money and influence can cause people to give more grace to one person than another. And I, find, I don't know how you are, but I find that very frustrating that someone's political views are a certain way or their finances are a certain way or maybe they're just famous and popular. It can, it can make a big difference to whether the society and culture around us gives them grace or not. I don't think it's anything new. I just think it ebbs and flows. It changes with the culture you live in. I'm sure that the New Testament church, the same thing. If you were the right person in the Roman Empire society, I'm guessing you got away with a lot more than someone else. But it's definitely the the culture and society we live in today. Next question I have, does your importance in God's kingdom increase or decrease the amount of available grace from God? And I believe the answer is no. Grace is a very popular subject in the modern seeker-friendly churches today, along with love. But I don't always think it's a biblical grace. It's not grace that aligns up with scripture, but it's more of a self-love. We want everyone else to have grace with us. We want everyone else to love our us, no matter who we are, what we do, what we stand for. Less often that grace is yeah, more about promoting, condoning, sin. 
Where do we first find grace, at least the English word grace, in the Bible? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. First time we find it is here in Genesis 6, verse 8. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. The second time you find it is in Genesis 19 with the story of Lot. Lot recognized that even though he lived in a city that God was going to destroy, God's grace saved him from that destruction. But we're going to start here in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and took them wives of all all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men renowned. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created upon the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What's it mean that Noah found grace? Was God's grace available to every other man, woman, child, beast that was upon the earth? I believe it was available. Was it that God was going to destroy the earth, but then he found a perfect man? And he said, well, I can't destroy it now because I found a perfect man. Was Noah perfect? No. Why not? Why couldn't he be perfect? He was a human being. So just like Dwayne talked about a couple of weeks, none of us are holy in of ourselves. None of us are perfect. We all need God's grace. So it says Noah found grace. I'm just going to look real quickly here at the definition of grace. According to Merriam-Webster, is unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. Another way to say it, kind of in my own words as I was thinking about this, is receiving something is not, I'm sorry, not receiving something that we deserve. As we know in Romans, we deserve to die because we were all born sinners. But for God's grace, none of us would deserve heaven. And so, Noah destroyed, deserved to be destroyed along with all the rest of the world. But God's grace was made available to Noah. <clears throat> but did Noah have to do anything? 
to have that grace shown to him. I believe that Noah had to accept that grace and choose to be obedient. I don't believe like Calvinists that God, when God extends his grace to someone, that that is so irresistible that we can't say no if God shows it to us. I believe God's grace is available to all mankind, just as the Bible speaks of how Jesus was sacrificed or died on the cross for every person, for every human. It was available. The same with God's grace. Those go together. Noah could have said, Well, thanks, God. I, I'm so grateful that you've shown me grace. But I don't want to build a boat. I don't want to have to preach to a sinful and evil world. But thanks for the grace. What good would God have, God's grace have done at that point if Noah would have said no to building a boat? And doing the other things that God asked him to do. I don't think any of us would be here today. And the same is true for us today. We have to accept that grace. And we have to in turn live in obedience to God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life, and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be it the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And that's where I'm going to stop. You can look further in that chapter and continue to see the, the idea that Because of Christ, we have an opportunity to walk with God, to be saved. But we have to be in the Spirit. We have to have the Spirit living in us, and how do we do that? We have to accept, make a choice to accept that grace, to accept God and His Son into our lives. And so it's not just the easy street that's so often taught today of easy grace. We have to accept it. We have to make a choice. God showed his love in sending Jesus. 
and mercy and grace to each person who ever lived before and after his son. But if, if we would have rejected it, we would be just as lost as anyone else who rejects it. Once we accept that grace, the next step is walking in holiness, as Duane talked about two weeks ago. How do we become holy? As he said, we aren't holy in and of ourselves, but through obedience, through sanctification, through the blood of Christ, we become holy. Then I want to continue reading at verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, live, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For if ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The only way we can become the children of God is because of God's grace. If it wasn't for his grace his love and his mercy, we would have no hope. So the next question I want to ask is, are we sinful and need and in need of God's grace? And I believe we know the answer to that, but Romans 3, verses 9 and 10 says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We live in a culture, a society today that implies that some don't need grace. Simply by merit of who they are, they can do whatever, they can make whatever choices they are. Others are so bad because of who they are, who they are born that there's really no or little grace available to them. But that's not the biblical truth about grace or the need of a Savior. As it said in Romans there, in Romans 8, we're all sinners. We're all in need of God's grace. But today we are influenced And this is what I want to focus on today. We are influenced strongly by the Me Too movement. I think this is where we need to be careful. Because we also have the situations where people fall into sin. And the Me Too movement says, depending who you are, you don't deserve grace. You don't deserve a second chance. So how should we view that as believers as children of God the Me Too movement treats them as terrible people we should have nothing to do with them 
And I want to be very clear this morning. If there are people, if there's someone who is a predator, we should not give them access to people in areas that they fell. But to completely turn our backs on them and reject them, I believe is not what Jesus taught and is not biblical. This morning, I'm not going to talk about anybody in modern times. I don't want to start deciding who's good, who's bad, who deserves grace, who doesn't. But I want to look this morning at three specific people in the Old Testament and New Testament that I believe we can see the heart of God and the heart of Christ when it comes to showing grace to people and how to deal with those who have fallen. First, The first one I'm going to look at is in John chapter 8. This is a well-known story. And I believe that <clears throat> there's much we can learn from it. I believe you could also take this story and take it to the ends of cheap grace. And we don't want to do that this morning. But let's look at here. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went up into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst... They say unto her, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have, act, might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted in their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We think about it, this story, if it was put in today's Me Too movement. We recognize that we live in a different culture, in a different time, where typically men are accused if there's a situation where there's two involved two equally guilty. The culture has completely switched around. And today the man would be accused and the woman would be let go. In this case, the man, the crowd had nothing to say about the man who was caught in adultery. It was only for the woman. But what does Jesus teach us here with this story? It's that, is it that the sin is no big deal? Is that adultery is no big deal? Definitely not. 
Jesus was very clear with this woman. And if the man would have been there, I believe he would have said the very same thing. Jesus was not there to condemn them, but to save them, to, to encourage them to be restored to God. How does that happen? By leaving the sin and sinning no more. It's a very different attitude than what we see today. I believe what we see today is not literal stonings, but I believe it's virtual stonings of what we see happening today on social media and in the media. Someone is found guilty of something and people pick up stones. And yet I think if we're ready to do that, if we're ready to sit there and try to destroy someone, we need to first examine our own lives and make sure that we're living the way we should be. Churches today are getting caught up in the same thing, and so we need to be very careful to address these situations in a biblical manner, in a godly one, the way Christ would, and not be imitating the world. The next story I want to look at, I'm not, I'm not going to turn to, we know it, through and through. The story of David. He fell spiritually. He sinned with Bathsheba. He had a man murdered to cover his sin. So if you're someone that has tried to destroy someone on social media, do you Have you torn all the psalms out of the Bible that David wrote? Or do you read and get encouragement from Psalms 23 and other psalms? Today we sing hymns written by people who have later fallen away. We may even have books on our bookshelves written by people who today who aren't walking with God. Those are tough things. How do you deal with that? It may be hard to sit there if we're aware of the story, aware of the person and what they stand for today. Maybe it's a struggle for us to sing that song, read that book. But yet I believe if God had David's Psalms kept in Scripture, We need to recognize that those things come from God. Those were inspired by God. And we can still learn and be challenged from them. We don't have to throw everything out. Because remember, none of us were sinless. We have all fallen. We have all sinned. We have all been in need of God's grace. The next person I want to look at is Apostle Paul. How would Apostle Paul be looked at today in the Me Too movement? He was a murderer. He tortured Christians. He put them in prison, put them to death. And yet I'm sure when he preached in some of the churches... 
there were probably family members sitting in those churches being taught by Paul whose loved ones had been one of Paul's victims. In the last couple of months, I had to think of, I'd never thought about it in such a way to think, what would it have been like? What if my uncle or aunt or my brother or sister would have been killed by Paul? And then there's Paul in the pulpit preaching. I think we need to remember as we look at these situations, this is never a condoning of sin. It's never a whitewashing that there are not people that are hurt, that are not victims of those sins sometimes. But yet, Christ came to redeem and wanted to reconcile with each one of us, each person who has failed and struggled. Solomon fell away. As far as I know, there's no necessarily recording that he came back to God at the end. And yet, do you read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon? A couple more people I wanted to think about. Rahab and Ruth are in the lineage of Jesus. Both coming from idolatrous people. People that the Jews looked down upon. And yet God redeemed them. And they became part of the heritage, part of the lineage of Jesus. Are there good things to the Me Too movement today? I want to acknowledge that sometimes there's been some things brought forward that for so many years were hidden. And that's not necessarily wrong. God is about justice. But many times the Me Too movement is not as much about Justice is it's just about getting revenge and vindication. So we need to be careful how we look at those things when we hear of stories, hear of people that have fallen, that have failed. But the Me Too movement never acknowledges that there are a few times where there's blame in the other party. And we need to acknowledge that if it's true, just as there was with Bathsheba, with David. Yes, David is the one where the primary fault lay, but the Bible acknowledges that she, was, she wasn't perfect either. So Dwayne's message focused on holiness, and I don't want us to, to forget that, that in all of this, God wants us to be holy. He calls us to holiness calls us to righteousness. But we need to be careful that we're not here ostracizing and stoning people virtually, but calling them back to holiness. I want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 18 and read a portion of Scripture that I believe pertains to this idea of if we want to receive God's grace we then in turn need to show grace to others. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which 
take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then said his Lord, after he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that, that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst thou not also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wrought and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. If we cannot forgive someone, will God forgive us? And the, the answer seems to be clear that if we have an unforgiving spirit, we are putting our own souls in danger and we need to be careful. Let us be careful today that we don't get caught up in the whirlwinds of accusation, drama, and virtual stonings. We as believers are called to love, to show grace, and in the end, strive for holiness. Not seeing how many people we can find fault and destroy. I believe often it's done with the idea of covering up for their own guilt. It's not always true, but I think that's often the case. When you see someone going after someone else, it's a way of dealing with their own guilt. It's kind of like a child. When you have children in the home when they're little and Johnny gets in trouble for this and he'll go to his mom or dad and he'll point to his sister or brother and like, they did that, you know. Why aren't you dealing with that? It's not that he's perfect, but he's trying to cover up his own guilt. In closing, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then all those things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy kind of conversation and godliness, looking forward and hasting unto the coming of the day of the God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, 
wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory with, for both now and forever. Amen. We see there in verse 17, it, Peter warning the idea that we can fall from our own steadfastness. And I think we see some people struggling with that today as they look around and they see people that they looked up to, respected, fall and struggle. It can affect our own steadfastness. It can affect our own resolve. But Peter here is saying it is possible to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus in spite of that. I appreciated what it says here in verses 9 there that God is long-suffering. I'm so grateful for that today. He's long-suffering towards us, towards others around us. And that He wants us to be holy and righteous through Him. May the Lord bless each one of you.